Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. And welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle, and joining me tonight on this hot summer's night are the cool, calm, and collected Josh Howie, and someone who always brings the heat, Dana Alexander. <laughs> How are you both? Good. It's what it's a great night for the air conditioning to have gone here. <laughs> let's not acknowledge that. Let's not because they wouldn't have known back at home. You've broken the spell, Josh. Good way to get people into work is actually have some AC there. I will fix it, don't worry. Leave it with me. Let's have a look at tomorrow's front covers. We're going to start with the Daily Mail, which has uh, Mordant's number 10 bid, hits buffers, going on to the Telegraph, and they have record highs, travel chaos, schools close, and it's going to get hotter. Bit of fear-mongering there. And on to the Independent. Ministers told to rewrite climate emergency plan... Uh, the Guardian goes with Johnson accused of checking out as Britain swelters in searing heat. Bit of a theme developing here. Uh, on to the Financial Times now. Arms London listing plan on hold after Johnson's fall sparks turmoil. The Times runs with Tory race thrown wide open. This is, of course, someone else dropped out of the Tory race tonight. We're going to be talking about that later on. And the Metro has get ready for the hottest day ever. That's quite a claim. And, of course, the Daily Star. And they're going with, and you thought you were having a tough day. Record heat due today and airport forced to shut. Cops give nudie warning. Various, it's a bit of a mess, the front cover of the Star there, but uh, lots of interesting stories. And I'm sure we'll be getting to some of them. Those are your front... <laughs> Kicking off with Tuesday's Telegraph. And do you think climate change deniers are starting to feel the heat? <laughs> well, if they're not feeling it now, they're never going to feel it. So the UK heat wave has recorded highs of, uh, what is it, 37 today and 40 tomorrow. And temperatures could get as high as 43 degrees Celsius. So, of course, this is travel chaos for schools. They've even had to shut the runway on Luton because, at Luton because it melted. So the runway itself melted. Yes. I don't understand this. So how is it that we can't cope with a slight increase? Because there are countries around the world that are much hotter than ours. They have runways. Do we make our runways out of marshmallow or something? What is it? Why can't we handle this? I don't know what it is. I think because these temperatures are unprecedented, you just wouldn't plan for this, right? You can, I, I, the way that I look at it is what can you do? These are the hottest temperatures. How can you plan for, you I know? Just, I'm just still confused why everything breaks down. I mean, so getting here, my, half of my trains were cancelled. I don't get why... Trains would stop because it gets a bit hotter. Am I just being really naive, Josh? I'm sure, it wasn't. There wasn't a strike today or something as oh, well. Oh, there might have been that too. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. But, but yes, yeah, so. it's because we are a country that's not designed for these kind of extreme temperatures, whether it's cold, uh, whether it's hot. So other countries, arguably, have even built their whole days around staying inside in the middle of the day and and all the other things that you need to do to survive and function. Do we think though that the media is is over? playing it a little bit. I mean, like, a couple of days ago when they were talking about it's going to be the hottest day ever and The Guardian was talking about how many people are going to die and, and it, people are saying you shouldn't go out 
He shouldn't, you know, are we just exaggerating this a little bit? Did you go out today? That was I crazy. I was working. I was, yeah. I was stuck it in was, a basement. It was crazy outside. <laughs> I've been literally laying by a fan with no clothes on for, like, the last three days. I was excited to get here because I thought there might be some AC. There is outside. There is outside, yeah. yeah. So that was, was amazing. Bad. I was, I was just being I, like, what are they talking about, the heat? I don't know what they're going on. And then I literally stepped outside and was just like, oh, my God. Well, maybe we're just, we're just a nation of wimps. We just can't, we can't deal with No, we're a nation with no AC. No you know what I mean? There's, I, I know exactly the trains that'll have them as well. Certain overground lines in the Thames Link. If you want to get on a train with some AC, get on a Thames Link. Oh, All right. the way to Brighton. Oh, well, fair yeah. play. Bit of a plug there. Tuesday's Guardian next. And uh, Boris has checked out, hasn't he? Running down the clock. Josh, what do we think? Yeah, so it's like, uh, it's like COVID all over again. Uh, at the beginning, he's not been going to SAGE meetings. Um, and so he had a farewell party for his close allies, uh, all three of them, uh, checkers, <laughs> uh, the ones who are still left. And, uh, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, look, I don't... What's the point? He's gone now, or he's meant nearly yeah, gone. Nearly so gone. what's the point of... I want to see him sweat. What? what? I want to see him look <laughs> more disheveled than he looks in cool weather. He's got that blonde hair. <laughs> but if it's the case that he just doesn't... I mean, the, the implication of this article is that he doesn't really care anymore. Yeah. Like, he's checking out. He, you know, he's... he's Literally he, checking out checkers. Well, he didn't go to... He didn't go to the Cobra meeting, but then there have been other Cobra meetings where he hasn't gone to. Uh, and, of course, Prime Ministers don't have to chair the Cobra committee. I mean, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He said, instead, he went on... To the RAF, he went on the Tornado. He's obviously watched Top Gun. He was like, I want a bit of that. Oh, that was He's good. obviously trying so, to fit as many perks in. But the thing is, it's like, okay, I mean, why, why didn't you just resign? Why did, why are you still sticking around? Is it so we can just have another nice month in power or something? Well, or so this is, so he has somewhere to live. Well, there's that. I mean, Czech is beautiful. There's that. But yeah. you know, this is an interesting question because a lot of people in the know and who know him will say that he's the sort of person that just wants power for its own sake, mm -hmm. and that's why he would want to retain uh, control as long as he possibly can. But what's the point of doing that if you're not going to actively sort of? get involved and... You know? I don't know. I think there's a freedom. Like, my mother got called back to work in her retirement at the age of 62, and you should see how she behaves at work. She does whatever she wants. Because she is, nothing... she is living the dream, because they're like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm supposed to be retired. So what, what are you going to do? I mean, who's going who's gonna to take over at this point? And then maybe this is why Labour wanted this vote of no confidence. They're saying that he should, just shouldn't be there. He's just got to go now. A lot of Tories have said the same. Yeah. Um, but do you think there's something... In the, do you think, uh, I mean, if... He had lost the vote of no confidence. That would have been a general election. He didn't lose, as it happened. I mean, it was tight, though, 349 to 298. That's pretty close. Relatively so. Do you he went faster though, than May as well. Do you reckon, though, that there is a case for whoever takes over that there should be a general election anyway? Because, you know... Well, absolutely. Look, we always talk, we argue about Brexit and stuff, and one of the things you say, and I can agree with that, is this the idea that these kind of overlords who are unelected... Well, now we've got into a position where... Someone's going to come in and lead our country who's only going to be actually voted in by 100,000 people. That's not speaking I mean, democracy. Speaking of which, we do have a story now which relates very closely to this. So this is in Tuesday's Times. Tory leadership results. Josh. Yeah, so uh, Tugendhat is out. Who? Tom Tugendhat. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> I see. Uh, it was a quip. Very good. He's very uh, nice, actually. I've met him. He's a nice guy. No, I thought he, he came across pretty well, actually. He did very well in that first debate, yeah. didn't he? he sort it of, was... It's like he had nothing to lose, allegedly. Well, you know, that is a good thing. If you're, if you're a backbencher and you're coming from the outside and people don't generally... You know, you're not as well-known as the three frontrunners. Same with Kemi Badenoch. People don't know her as well. They do now. I did. They do now. I did as well, actually. But, but yeah. most, you know, they weren't as famous as... The Liz Truss is the Rishi Sunaks, you know. Yeah. Um, so Rishi... But they, they, you know, they, they, there's a freedom there, isn't there? Absolutely. Well, it was, but obviously it only goes, takes you so far. So what's happening now, Rishi, as everybody knew, is he's gone 14 votes ahead. Liz Truss uh, 
and Kim uh, Badnock. They've both picked up more support. Yeah. Interesting, Penny Morden has actually lost. She's gone from 83 down to 82. So that momentum, which she seemed like she was maybe going to be going into that second place, uh, I think that momentum's been lost now. I think she's been hurt by a few things. David Frost doing that interview saying that basically she was kind of useless at her job and also the stuff about trans rights. And really, it's not about the position she had, it's just more the fact that she hasn't seemingly been honest well, about she, it. Well, she, she claims that her posi her position on that has been consistent. Yeah. Various people are saying that's not the case, so they're worried about the dishonesty. And isn't it true, Dana, that this particular Tory leadership race, so much of it is about trust. Can we trust? Because of, you know, obviously what happened with Partygate, can we trust whoever is in power now? Well, I don't think that we can trust Rishi. I mean, he was a little bit too close to the cronyism, and I think one of the points that Kemi made was that he lost a potential, what was it, 17 billion with the, um, what do you call it there, the... Um, the COVID, the COVID alone yeah. scandal. Yeah. So I don't think that we can trust Rishi. I mean, I want Rishi to get in because I think he'll get slaughtered in a general election. So <laughs> do go Rishi. That, do you, what about the fine? What about the Partygate fine? Does that bother you at all? Uh, yeah, of course it bothers me. I mean, it bothers so many people. I lost two aunts and an uncle and I stayed at home for two years and I basically followed the rules. So no, I, I think they, they like to cut a lot of corners for themselves and it's one rule for them, another rule for others. So no, I don't. He's a front runner though. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean he, he well, went up. Kemi Badonk's doing fantastically well. Big leap uh, in the last one. She, and like you say, Penny Morden down. So that's yeah. a surprise. And if, if she, if Ke Kemi Badonk, supposedly she just, I just read now, she, they did a, she did great hustings this evening. Right. Uh, if she keeps that momentum going, and they're saying that she would be, beat Rishi uh, when it actually came down to the Conservative voters, and that, I think, actually is Labour's worst nightmare. OK, well, let's move on to this ne next article. Uh, this, this one is about... Um, the leadership debate being cancelled. Yes. So, withdrawals uh, follow concerns that previous debates have exposed deep divisions between the Tory party candidates. So, the third televised debate of the Conservative leadership contest has been cancelled after former Chancellor Rishi Sunak and former Secretary Liz Truss said that they would not participate. So, so is this because of PR, effectively? They don't want the, the country seeing them squabbling. They think that that's going to effectively, uh, you know, scupper their chances at the next, next in the general next election. general election, right. exactly. But but you know, obviously, conflict is at the heart of politics. As long as they're civil about it, then it's fine, isn't it, that we see them disagree? Isn't it quite helpful? You think it's helpful, but when you want that little taste for power, people get a bit ruthless. I think these debates, in the in essence, are, you know, they're ruthless, generally. But I don't think that uh, coming out of the debates is necessarily a good idea, because I think this is the time when people really need to know the policies that people are standing on. They really do. I mean, they have to be so careful, don't they? Because ultimately, whoever wins is going to be in charge, and these other people are going to have to be working with them. Mm -hmm. So those things that they say, I mean, we see this all the time, don't yeah. we? In, in, Same in American same politics. In America, you know. mm -hmm. But the thing is, this, so this was on, meant to be on Sky News. Yeah. What I can reveal exclusively here, and I'd like to bring them out, Rishi, <laughs> come out, Liz. Come on, we're going to do it here. GB News exclusive. <laughs> don't hide. Stop. They, they're waiting for the air conditioning. I would love for out. us to do that. That would, would be amazing. Um, but do you think there's, there's anything in this, in the idea that, you know, uh, do you think the debates have been helpful you know, in a, well, it's, it's been helpful to find out Kemi. some of these yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, to find out who well, they are a little so bit. So this is the thing. I mean, they're saying here, you know, there's only a few <coughs> MPs that are voting, right? So why do we have to have all these debates? There are people saying, you know, the, the Channel 4 debate was a mistake. Why did you do it? Was but it? actually, I mean, what you're saying, Dana, is actually right. I think that, the, that it's important that we know what they stand for. It's important that we do, because they're going to be the next Prime Minister, and we didn't vote them in 
on, a, on the mandate that people, Boris Johnson had. People want to know what they're going to do with taxes, right? right? There's that big debate that they're having, whether or not, you know, raising taxes is essentially austerity, right, Cameron's plan, or if, you know, getting the tax cuts will actually get the economy going. So I think that's the big debating issue that really needs to be clear and people need to say where they stand on that. Yeah, I'm all for the debates. Oh, of course, more debates the better. Yeah. That's the absolute... Of course they should be doing that, and they're doing it because they're scared. Liz Truss doesn't want to do it because she came across terribly in that first one. She did. She actually weirdly came across as nervous, and I'm very surprised by that, because I thought, you know, she's got, got a lot of, of experience. Loads yeah. of experience, I'm mm. really surprised. Yeah. And uh, Rishi, I don't think, wants to, because the only, he's in the lead. The only way he can go is down. So, yeah. of course, those two don't want to do it. Yeah. OK, well, Tuesday's Telegraph. And we know Prince Harry's not going to be king, but maybe he's pivoting into politics. Josh, is that right? Well, no, it's not right. Oh. <laughs> but he's definitely <laughs> becoming more vocal, and he's definitely commenting on political issues, which, had he been a working royal under that sort of title of working royal, he would definitely not have really been allowed to do. Yeah, they're so not meant to say anything, are no, they? No, really. So he's using his somewhat freedom uh, to suggest that he said, uh, Roe vs Wade, uh, the ruling is part of a global assault on democracy and freedom. Uh, and he also says he's talking about constitutional rights here in the United States. So he's really embedding himself as now as sort of a, as an Amer American citizen, or certainly part of America by using the word here, I think. Um, and, but, but at the same time, it's like, I understand that Roe vs Wade is a very important issue, but it's really an important issue in America. I, it's not a global issue. Women's rights globally is an issue, but I just, it's that thing of like, Americans or people who live in America have that sort of utterly solipsistic view of the world. Like, of course, talk, if you're going to talk about this stuff, talk about America. Don't make that th this issue is suddenly relevant to people in China and here and yeah. there, because it's not the case. Do you, Dana, do you think that he should be wading into politics so much? You know what? I think when it comes especially to the Roe versus Wade situation, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the 10-year-old girl who was, you know, mm. pregnant and had to get her abortion out of state because mm. of she was interfered with. Um, I think, you know, it's these are important things for him to talk about. It's, of course, he is a Brit, but you have to remember his entire family is American. You know, these rules effectively will can, can um, affect his daughter in the future. Do you know what I mean? So I actually think that this is something that's really important that needs to be spoken about, and I think, why not? Yeah. Yes, but would you say that if he was saying some the op opposite view, that's something you, d you disagreed with, would you still say it's OK for him to wade in? I, I think it's OK for anybody to weigh in. I'm not going to stop him. He, the thing is, he's, he's not really a working royal anymore, and I think anybody in America has, you know, the right to, to an opinion. I yeah. mean, he didn't actually say uh, Roe vs Wade. What he did say, he, he talked about the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States. He could have actually been talking about the Second Amendment. He could be very pro-gun. He, he, pro he, he did not say specifically... I think, I think that's not space. what he's saying, Josh. I'm going to stick my neck out okay. and say he's not going to come out. Uh, but his wife, <laughs> it, Duchess, uh, Duchess of Sussex, said that said the, the feminist duke had been equally despairing. I'm a feminist, but I don't... I feel a bit weird, like, my wife just going around calling me, a, like, my feminist husband. I don't know. There's something feels a bit weird about that. Right. You're giving know. us an insight into your relationship. I don't know. I just there. feel like that's, like, she could call <laughs> my handsome husband... Handsome. Yeah, I'll take that. My, okay. My thin. Let's <laughs> move on. Let's move on. Uh <laughs> Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and I'm joined tonight by comedians Josh Howie and Dana Alexander. Let's get right back to it. Tuesday's Guardian now. It's being reported 
that the royal family have been hiding things inside wills. I hope they asked him, Dana. Yes, generations of the royal family have concealed details of assets worth more than £180 million through a series of legal applications that have been granted in total secrecy. I'm actually surprised it's so little. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Why is it surprising that very rich families have a lot of money? Exactly, especially monarchs. You know, they never know when they have to make a run. We, sometimes we forget Prince Philip was smuggled out of his country in an orange crate, right? Is that right? Yes, yes, he was. Did you know <laughs> Prince Philip, the Queen? No, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember him. I don't remember the orange crate. <laughs> yeah, that's how he got out. Uh, okay. They smuggled him out in an orange so, crate. I mean, is this a bit of a non-story? No, no, it is. It's really interesting because, as you say, there's like it's 180 million. That's but that's all of them. It seems right. like that's all of their money. That's not uh, a lot. And that's between all the different royals. So, like, uh, Princess Margaret, she left. They're saying about seven and a half million or 11 million at today's prices. I just would have thought she'd have more, like jewellery and all of that stuff. This so, guy, Prince George something, Axel, he only left, like, £785,000. I don't know. I thought they'd so, be all loaded. And what is The Guardian doing here? It's, it's sort of actually trying to get the freedom to look into this. Yeah, well, they to got it to work this out. First of all, they got a calculator out and they basically just added up houses and what jewel, right. you know, whatever they'd seen. You're like, well on, Guardian. Uh, but now they're taking legal action because they want to find out um, the Duke of Edinburgh's will. OK. But I reckon he... According to this, I reckon he had nothing. I reckon he had a shotgun and a couple of wellies. Whatever. <laughs> I just thought, I, I... But why does it matter? But like, as in, you know, none of us are surprised that they've got all this money. Mm -hmm. They're not doing anything illegal, are they? So Because anything royal is news. There is that. Yeah, yeah. Anything royal is news. Fair enough. Uh, we're on to Tuesday's Telegraph now. Fan of the licence fee, are you, Josh? Yeah, I think it's all right. But this could be an interesting way of going about things. This right. report basically more. says, uh, as a licence fee alternative, instead, like the council tax, basically just charge everybody a fee, whether you use it or not, and um, and then that will bring the cost down. That's one of the so, proposed uh, models. But have we not moved into a world where, you know, people don't want to pay for something they're not using, and so many young people in particular, it's all streaming services, that's all they're interested in, and, and yet we're all paying for the BBC even if we don't... I mean, is, is, that, is that just outdated? The BBC, yes, but the BBC obviously treads this very fine line, and what they're talking about it is, like, the danger of it becoming an eat-your-greens broadcaster. What they mean is, i.e., that we're just financing it because it's just going to give us the nourishing stuff that we don't necessarily want but feel like we should have. OK. So there is that danger. But at the same time, and they're also talking about doing maybe having a paywall system and maybe outside of the UK, people would then subscribe to it. So there are different ideas out there. The people who are on the board here are all people who actually used to lead the BBC or, like, head the finances. So they're not, like, necessarily anti-BBC. They're just... They are acknowledging that things do need to change. I... I look, I hear what you're saying, but I think, like, if they could lower the fee somehow and if it was, like, spread across everybody, I feel like there's... It, it's As an institution, it is worth continuing. So this is the argument that comes up again and again when we talk about the licence fee, uh, is that people say, look at the quality of the programmes that, that they produce. But isn't that beside the point? Because, actually, isn't it about the principle of, of, as I say, whether people should be paying for things they're not consuming? Times are changing and they have to compete with private channels, right? So I think it's really important that they are competitive and that they prove that they're profitable. Here's a good, quick question. What's your favourite show on the BBC? Oh, Right me. now. I have no idea. Oh, isn't that crazy? <laughs> right? <laughs> <Our> headliners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, right. And I remember when they were talking about this debate about all of the great shows that the BBC has produced, and someone put a tweet out with all of these amazing comedy shows that yeah, the BBC yeah, produced, yeah. and they were all 30 years old. Exactly, and so, that's why it's time to move on.
Or it's time to fire some commissioning editors. <laughs> That's what it is. I think it's I think it's important that we actually find out what people are watching on the BBC. I think as soon as they get into that market, they're going to be able to see through um, streaming services and things like that what shows are doing well, better they, they right now. All, they can see what's doing it. No, mm. they're saying they acknowledge. But do they, they care? No, well, they, they do care. They're really, they're genuinely quite scared, I think. And they say, we agree we need to keep reforming, which is what we're doing at Pace. Essentially, all I've seen from their reforming is that they get rid of BBC Three, and then they bring it back, and then they get rid of BBC yeah, Three it's, again. It's, like, exactly. That seems to be the most of what they're doing. It needs to be a bit more radical than that. They, but, they but, need but, that, there we go, radical. But the, I believe the radicalness should come through their commissioning process, where you've got a lot of people who are very comfortable in their jobs and they just want to keep their jobs, and I don't believe that the stuff that they're actually creating is worthy of the BBC. I mean, why would you be afraid of a subscription service if you are confident in the quality of the stuff you're producing? Well, they're not. That's the, that's right. the point. That must be it, surely. Anyway, moving on now to Tuesday's Guardian and a lesson from Afghanistan's rulers in how not to motivate your staff, Dana. Yes, and as the economy is collapsing in Afghanistan, women there, uh, the women's from Afghanistan's finance ministry are saying that they have, it's been suggested that they ask male relatives to replace them. On top of that, we're also looking at a huge cut to their salaries, which went from 60,000 Afghanis to 12 Thousand. I mean, are we surprised, though? We know what happened with Malala Yusuf for just trying to go to school. They shot, Taliban shot her in the face. I mean, this is a step up. Well, and when you put it like that, absolutely. But when uh, the, the Americans withdrew from Kabul and you had the Taliban spokesperson saying, with a new Taliban, you know, that it, our sisters are going to be valued as much as the men. And it's like, but it's the Taliban. It's like the, yeah. And of they, course they, they lied. They... And of course they've incrementally brought these different rules back in. Yes. And they're saying, you know, women can't work in the finance ministry. The funny thing is this woman who's being interviewed here, she's saying she's worked there for 15 years, she's worked her way up, she's yeah. got a degree. You don't just get people rid of people like that and it doesn't have an impact. Guess what's happened? Well, their economy has gone down a billion dollars from what it was. Uh, and that is a lot of, in Afghanistan, that's 5% yeah. of their GDP. So you've got this, they're trying to go back to their food, feudal system. And then it's having a massive impact on top of the issues that are already going on with people starving, crops failing and whatnot. So it's, a, it, it's funny that they're going like, and it's not just like, oh, well, you're smart. You must have a smart brother or dad or... That's not how it works. Like they, you They're specialize in any a man, field. aren't they? Yeah. I mean, but this is the thing. Like, what was so, so surprising to me is when this, the spokesperson was saying, you know, we're going to be a different kind of Taliban. So many people were believing it. Such was the anti-American sentiment. They were almost like, yeah, willing the Taliban on. And of course, by the end of the day, they got rid of all their uh, journalists on state-funded television. By the end of the, and they, you know, and they keep reducing women's rights. And now broadcaster women actually have to wear full niqab on. Full niqab, exactly, yeah. exactly. So they're, they're not. It's not in their nature to change because it's a traditionalist, ultra-conservative religious movement, right? Yeah, of course. But they, on the positive side, there might be a good movie in this in terms of, like, a sort of um, Milan... Uh, do you ever watch Milan where, you know, the, the Chinese girl, she dressed up as a soldier, as a boy? Mulan. Mulan, sorry, Mulan. Mulan, sorry. So they could do a sort of, like, a, she, the, the, the accountant dresses up as a man accountant. I don't okay. know if it's be or just bring, bring your own penis to work. That's how you keep your job. Just set it up on the desk.
I, I, look, this, this Forget is like about a, my brother. You're now basically you're pitching, pitching for people. films <laughs> now, you know. But there are sometimes great works that come out. Do you ever see Persepolis, you know, the film about yeah, yeah, the, the Iranian the revolution? Iranian, yeah. I didn't, but I will yeah, now. It's really great, and it's, and it's about the way that women felt after, you know, they, they, all their rights were taken away overnight, effectively. Yeah. So you can get really great. Khomeini came in, yeah, yeah. in 79. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, sticking with The Guardian now, and precautionary measures against dementia are afoot, Josh. Yes. Um... So the FA, uh, Football Association... Yes, no, I knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just figured, <laughs> out, I just figured it out for myself there. Uh, they are going to uh, ban deliberate heading of, of the... How federal. are they going to do that? I guess there'll be someone on the side, a special heading referee. Will or they something. pull you out of the game? This is for under 12-year-olds. Uh, essentially, they found out that a study came out a few years ago that... Uh, that I think for professional footballers are a third more likely to suffer from neuro... Three and a half times, times more half likely times to die of neurodegenerative diseases uh, than age-match members of the population. And that could be because they're heading the ball a lot, or it could be because they're footballers. Well, I think it's... We don't it's know I mean, look at boxing, if you ever want to see... You, you see have you ever seen Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali at the end of their life? These guys are shaking, and, yeah, yeah of course of it has course. an impact. The ball. So this and is a good thing. It's going to take two years to bring in. They're doing a trial next year. If it works, they're going to bring in... They've already said for under-10s, I think, or under-11s, to stop heading the ball. So now they're going to make it up to under-12s. How do they enforce it during the game, though? Is it a penalty? Are you out of the game if you I, head the ball? How, do, how guess, are they going to actually yeah, do it? Yeah, I guess that's what they're going to ban heading. Well, why didn't they just say no matches? heading in football full stop? Because it's called football, not headball. I mean, it just seemed like a silly I think thing. that it's just giving them more skills. But the, the thing is... They love bouncing on top of their head and doing, like, little They tricks. do like all that. But I remember being at school and us practising heading and the, the PE teacher would throw the ball at our heads. It does really hurt. Mm -hmm. It's a heavy leather ball. Right here, yeah. yeah, and, it, and if you Stop. get it wrong... Did you start crying? That's a different... It's okay, not relevant. Not... <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have to bring those sort of Sorry. things into this? It's not about sure. that. Yeah. Um, but it's about the principle. I was really surprised that it caused so much injury, but... Yeah, maybe they just need to get rid of it altogether. And they could use their hands instead, like Maradona did. And that worked well. It's called rugby. Oh, they've already got that. They've got that one. Oh, yeah, OK, yeah. fine. We're not really football people. Um, Soccer. 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 <laughs> Let's move on to Tuesday's Telegraph next. And uh, courting has changed since I was a child. Dana, what's this about? Oh, my Lord. Low risk. Low risk. Child porn offenders shouldn't be prosecuted, says the police. <laughs> I mean, the so, police... We're looking at Telford. The last thing I want to hear from is the police telling them, telling anybody that uh, anything to do with sex offense should not be policed. So the major report says that conditional cautions should be given while children who share naked images should be is, exempt. So this is kids sending their parts the to other kids. Now, is this the norm? Well, we've read us that because of the online safety bill, there was a, a, they were talking about how popular this is, or I won't say popular, but how prevalent it is. And yes, you have a lot of children now consensually sending photos to each other, and a huge chunk of those are under 13-year-olds. Sexting, in other words. Yeah, or what, yeah, so that has overwhelmed the police to the point where they can't focus... They're saying they can't focus on, like, the proper pedos. Uh, so there's two... OK. But, th but obviously, a child sending another child a naked image, however much you, that's a major problem... against the law. It, it shouldn't be... That's not the same as uh, an adult who's sending... Uh, no, no, of course it's not, children. but it's still breaking the law. And, and also still those... spending a lot of time dealing with that. And also, when you start transmitting things online, these images don't aren't necessarily only being seen by these kids. This Clearly, somebody else has yeah. seen this. And what I really worry about is somebody who is predatory using this loophole to get ahead while it was sent from a 13-year-old's phone. And we right. also have to remember, even if you look at the whole Ghislaine Maxwell with all of these girls that were 
trafficked. A lot of them were brought into the recruitment, to re into recruiting other girls and things like that. So I... But surely it's right that, yeah. that children shouldn't be criminalised no. themselves. This feels like um, a, a, an issue that teachers... I will criminalise my child if you ever want to send your bits to some boy. I will go crazy. But that's my point. Is that, yeah. Isn't this a parental thing, yes. a teacher it's thing, a parent rather thing. than a police thing? And that's what they're thing, saying. You know? they're At saying, least scare them. At least what, scare them. That's what I'm saying. And they, but they need to get ahead of the curve. Rather than dealing with them once these photos have been done and doing cautions and whatnot, they need to get ahead of the curve into the schools and this is the kind of stuff that is worthy of teaching people about respect keeping your body and also letting itself. kids know that what that that is against the law they probably yeah. don't know a lot of them you know i think that's yeah. quite important yeah. uh, and you know i've been a teacher myself there were some problems like this but nothing like the no, scale that they're describing today yeah. and but if they're talking about that the, the police are overwhelmed with industrial it says here industrial scale child abuse imagery online couldn't they just stop policing offensive tweets and things like that. They spend a lot of time, waste a lot of their time on stuff where people just saying stupid things online that aren't criminal anyway. They're just stupid. It's the number of cases that are going on and how much it's increased every year is um, is kind of it's kind of terrifying. That uh, but and their charging rates have plummeted from fifty one percent to nine percent. But in, it's a, there's a four hundred fifty percent increase in sexual grooming offences. Wow. Uh, over the last season, yeah, so this is a massive problem. Fivefold. Rising cases in just five years. Well, digital so, age, right? A lot yeah, of this is absolutely. To do with the so they, that department obviously needs more money. I'm sure it's an incredibly horrible, traumatic place to work, yeah. but a very important and necessary job. Right. Telegraph next, and Keir Starmer really trying to distance himself from the Corbyn years. Josh. Oi, Keir, what are you doing, mate? So this what has happened? been. Well, this has all been going on, on my Twitter online with Jews arguing with Jews and whatever. Because I haven't been watching your Twitter, so this is what's going. So listen. Essentially, Keir Starmer went to Berlin for a couple of days. Whilst he's there, he visited the Holocaust uh, Memorial. That's a good thing. He chatted to a Jewish newspaper. This is all good stuff. But he filmed a video there with David Lammy. And uh, it was like a, a, a sort of a promotional video and didn't mention where he was. He was talking about Ukraine, I think. And it's a very beautiful... Uh, it's, if you've ever seen it, it's sort of concrete block. I've been there. Yeah, yeah I've been there with all the... Yeah. Going, yeah. But you can't really not mention it. It's because it's huge. Well, it's, all, it's massively taboo in and but for Germans, they hate people shooting there anyway. And there's a lot of inappropriate photos that go on and stuff like that. People think it's like some artwork or whatever. But just... it. it the point is, it's not a snazzy background. Yeah. That's what he kind of used it for, for this, like, good-looking, cool, solemn background to make his point. Without mentioning the Holocaust, it was an inappropriate... If he, if he tied it in somehow, maybe that well, would have made it different, but... I mean, I have to say, because I was in Berlin recently and I saw children running on it and jumping because they think it's just like a... a well, that's you know, They don't know what that's it fine, is. Yeah. But their defence... So they, they've said uh, that Keir Starmer wasn't uh, ignoring that, that he'd actually tweeted out saying, I'm going to this memorial, I like that, and that they and wanted... He, he put a photo of himself out of the memorial. Right, right. But that is a, photo, a tweet with a photo of a memorial. So the problem is he should have said something in the film itself. In the film itself, and that's why people have been Dana, upset. do you agree with that? Well, I just wonder how he would relate that to what he was shooting. Do you know what or I'm saying? Or just don't shoot Or just there. don't shoot think, yeah. there. Go to the park across the street. Right. I, I mean, the Germans, I, th I, I think they've done a really great job with the denazification, and I wish that we had that type of reverence when it comes to some uh, things in this country as well. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and I'm joined by Josh Howie and Dana Alexander. Let's crack on, shall we? We kick off section three on the stuff of nightmares. This is a restaurant run by Karens. 
Diner. Yes, the reputation of Karen's Diner preceded it. As we were about to enter Manchester's newest restaurant, one harried woman came out warning us, they're honestly horrible, just awful. So this is... That Manchester accent. <laughs> Your accent's better. <laughs> they're honestly horrible, just awful. That's not just bad, actually. I couldn't do any better. <laughs> so, so this is a... Um, no, that's Liverpool, jo Anyway, this is a restaurant that, that sort of specialises in being rude. Yes, and this right? is not a new concept. We had one in Vancouver called The Elbow Room, and the best part about those restaurants is when you take somebody and they don't know what the theme is. Oh, I yeah. remember I took this one friend of mine, and uh, he just ordered, like, a tap water, and the waitress just yelled out. He's like, tap water over here. I don't trust people who... Uh, get tap water, they always steal the jam, and then she just... Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You t but I, I suggest... I get it. Like, I yeah. went to a restaurant in Chicago called the Wiener Circle, mm -hmm. a restaurant. It's a kiosk where you buy hot dogs, and they were so the, rude. The Wiener Circle? Yeah, Wiener sausages, That sounds you know. a little bit sexual, man. It wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> and it, it, they were so... But, I mean, I can't say what they said to me. I asked for a vegan, uh, you know, hot dog, and she called me an mother something like proper kind of like uh, oh, you, well you remember you sure seinfeld a, you uh, sure that was the theme oh yeah yeah the soup Nazi. yeah yeah but, i mean that it's meant that actually is why it's popular but people yeah. want to go and be sworn at they have another one in yeah, montreal that's where you're not that's even why people yet. come to see my gigs really to yeah, be sworn at sworn, yeah, to be offended be, be so now there was also a chinese restaurant that did it in london where they were notably rude but but isn't it isn't it a weird isn't the dining experience supposed to be Peaceful and pleasant, and you, you know, I would have I thought. Think it's no, because then I guess it gives you something to talk about. A theme's always good. It's great. They get you get the the the, the menus like frisbeed at you, and you get. What, this is a Karen's diner. This is a Karen's diner. It sounds great. Yeah, someone had uh, suspiciously luminous teeth, and they're all going like turkey teeth. They're all taking the Mickey. Are this you sounds allowed like a really fun job? This sounds like my ideal job. Are you allowed to though. attack them as a customer? Are you allowed to have a go at the the staff? Well, I imagine Ooh, that's people. Because. That, at the Wiener Circle, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed yeah. to swear back. Oh. Uh, can they do that here? I hope so. Um, yeah. The problem is, it is Manchester. Wouldn't be surprised if someone headbutted somebody yeah, or something. Okay. In, okay. If, you, if you didn't tell them what this the is. This is your was. phobia of the North creeping through <laughs> again, Josh. Let's move on to Tuesday's Mail. And is alcohol on its last legs? Yeah, a third of pub visits are now alcohol free. Which I mean, that's is, a, that strikes me as a lot. That's a big lot. I think they're bringing it in. Big lot. <laughs> I think they're bringing it in. In this country, people stop drinking. Yeah, yeah right. Okay, exactly. it's, a big culture, it's a huge <laughs> culture shift. 2019, NHS found 60% of adults drank 14 units a week. Uh, latest research says 55% of UK drinkers consume fewer than 10 units. That's a big shift in a couple of years. I know we've had COVID, and they're saying it's because of health issues. People are so, now starting to watch themselves. I personally think it's because... Uh, it costs £8 a pint. But it could be that. But, I mean, I've read lots of studies about how younger people are just gen generally abstinent anyway. They don't have as much sex, they don't have drugs, they don't drink, all, all that sort of thing. Is it just a generational thing, maybe? That they're going to pubs and they're just having a... What, a I think it's probably just a temporary thing. Life will hit them and they'll pick up that bottle. Watch oh, really? and see. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like gastro pubs, and so a lot of people are going out now using it more as a... meeting up with friends, but having a burger instead, necessarily, and not but, using it. But, you it. know, alcohol's how I get through my time oh, with my friends. Mate, they're I, difficult people, you know. Really? Oh, yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. You know, you need it. Absolutely. You need it to if get you, through life. I, I do not <laughs> want to see anybody who I'm friends with without alcohol. It's, Otherwise, <laughs> I'll be reminded, <laughs> like, what, what it was like being a child. Too. Of course, we're not, we're not recommending uh, alcohol no. too much. But, uh, you know, a tip-off from now and then. Uh, Tuesday's Times now. Maybe the future isn't as digital 
as we thought for the young'uns. Yes, in the second quarter of the year, almost 1.66 million services were dropped from the likes of Netflix Now and Disney in the UK. And more than a third of these were directly account attributed to people tightening their belts. Half a million households have cancelled their sus uh, subscriptions, according to Kantar, the market researcher. So well, Netflix is losing a lot, but I've been told, and I don't watch much Netflix, I've seen like Ozark and a couple of things here and there, mm -hmm. but the people who watch it regularly say that a lot of it's become quite preachy and there's lots of sort of social justice causes and things. Not that people are against that per se, but that they don't want to be preached at when they're watching entertainment. I, I had a friend who has a show on Netflix, and I also have a show on Netflix, I should say, and it's very not preachy. Like, okay. It's not my show, but I'm in it. But as someone else, uh, he said that, that the production staff said that they would prefer... That it was diverse rather than good. That's right. running. That was from the showrunner, and so that if that's coming. Is it from the a, case that that kind of uh, thing is affecting? Well, I think know, so because people vote with their money, as in all of these cases. Uh, you can still make diverse stuff and make it good, but if you're going to focus on your diversity over the quality, which it seems like they've done, then they're going to suffer. But also, they put the prices up a bit. So is it also well? People... They they did and they didn't because now they have three tiers, right? So mm -hmm. if you get the basic one, it's six ninety nine. Then if you want to have two devices and a little bit of HD, it's ten ninety nine. And then if you want ultra HD, it's fifteen ninety nine. Right. Wow. So they're trying to do something about. But isn't it also that other everyone's using each other's passwords anyway? I mean, I, I know people who you watch a lot of Netflix, but they don't subscribe. They 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 yeah. borrow friends' passwords. And and... You know what? My dad won't let me borrow his password. Your Why? dad won't. My dad won't let me. He's not well, watching this, so it's fine. Because he's, he's watching some dirty he's, he's stuff watching, on Netflix. Netflix. He doesn't want you to see what he's been watching. 365 days. If I might be so well, as also the uh, TV reviewer for the Jewish Chronicle, thank you very much, <laughs> I will say that Apple TV is the one that's really killing it at the moment. Is that right? They're smashing it. They've and got good shows. They've got very good shows. Netflix just hasn't had that level of hit for a while. I don't think they have enough content. Before, it seemed like well, they Apple. had all... No, not Apple, oh, uh, Netflix. Netflix yeah. And I think what a lot of people are doing, especially as money starts to get tighter, they're just going to get it illegally. Yeah, well, you know, I missed the day when you go to the video library and you had to spend some time really thinking about what you were going to have and there was always the risk that it might chew up the tape. That's much better. A bit of jeopardy. I think we need to bring that... Blockbuster video. Blockbuster video. We go now to a local paper. This is uh, Peterborough Today. And historically, there is a subsection of society who have for too long been ostracised and viewed with suspicion. Well, no longer. One cinema chain is bringing them in from the cold. Well, heat, actually. Heat. Well, heat, yes. Bravo showcase cinemas because, uh, yes, the Peterborough uh, um, branch is now offering free cinema tickets to uh, ginger people. What, so is this, isn't this discrimination? Well, I think it's ginger privilege. Ginger privilege. Hey, I think it will make up... Will, will that actually make up for a lifetime of bullying? That's, oh, that's it. I've got three kids. I got to see Thor! Yeah, I've got, got three kids who are ginger, and I, but I don't Do say the word ginger. No, they don't. And I think that's all because of Ed Sheeran. That's been a massive help. Ah. Um, but we don't say that they're ginger. Like, to them, we say, no, like, we never use the G word, genuinely. In our really? House. We would be like, oh, you've got... Well, we'd say gold... Oh, you know, you've got, like, golden hair, you've got whatever. Strawberry really, blonde used to be. Or whatever, but now we're like, no, you're, you're proper, proper... So they're giving just free tickets to... So I'm, gonna, gonna I'm going this? up tomorrow, I'm going to drive up. Drive up. How are they going to enforce this? You could just dye everyone's hair ginger, Is couldn't you, and get in? I think the cost of dye might not does outweigh it, the it price of a, of a ticket. Oh, OK. Right. Well, it's a bit of an odd, an odd gimmick, well, but then, mind you, we're talking about it, so it worked. Uh, Tuesday's mirror now. Uh, this is um, this is a terrifying. This uh, cameras in schools. I, d I don't know. 
Yeah, so there's furious schools put cameras in the toilets to broadcast on the TV screen in the corridors. So, of course, uh, this, these are the... Um, the, the places where kids are going to be washing their hands and maybe looking in the mirror. So just to make sure there's nothing happening. Thank you for describing toilets. So... <laughs> yeah, but it's not the No, 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 but it's not in the toilet. Yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. trying to say is it's in the area where they're washing yeah, their hands. Also, I like the way you were, like, doing your... Miming the washing, yeah. it out. I'm here all night. Doing, doing... Dana, can you help me with this? Because I've read this article. I don't understand why. The article doesn't say why they did this, why they wanted cameras on the sinks with screens outside the, t the, the toilet so you could see. Um, why would a school want... Want to do that? The only thing that I could think of, and we'll stay off of this, is if the toilet was gender uh, gender neutral, right? And they wanted to make sure everybody was safe. I've seen toilets that uh, the ones that they have in Canada that my friend teaches as a principal of, they don't even have a door, so okay. the the whole sink area is just exposed or, to the hallway. Or is it maybe bullying? I mean, I know. I would guess. I would assume so. I would assume so. You didn't so. go to the toilet because if you went to the toilet, someone would punch you. That's where the bullies hang, hang, hang out in the, in the in the toilets, you know. So that's where I yeah, that's where it, we hang out. Right. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I never go to the toilet outside of my house. And, and you know why? Because teachers can't go in. So yeah. That, you know, so that's why they could yeah, do it. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, I remember skiving a lot of lessons going into the toilet just because, you know, anyway, not about me. Um, but, but it's an interesting one, is it? Why would they do that? And then also, um, there's another element of this story, mm. which is about the culture of the school. And this school, apparently, there's, there's been concerns because the pupils have been told they must never say no to a member yeah. of staff. Until after class. And my son gets this a little bit at school. Really? Because look, it, it just in that. Teachers are not perfect, as you know. Uh, what are you sure saying, Josh? People, people. Well, people, look, we, <laughs> we're all human. We all make mistakes. Sometimes a kid gets blamed for something that he wasn't part of or not. Yeah. You should be able to, and as it said here, respectfully argue your case because that's what life is like. I suppose what they're saying is the teachers have to be able to maintain some authority in the classroom. To, to a degree. Like if a, t if a kid's just saying, no, I'm not going to do that work, I'm not going to... That's no good, is no, it? No, no, absolutely. But when there are genuine cases for... Um, disagreement or whatever, yeah. I feel like it's a more beneficial to be able to teach them to, to make their case uh, in a respectful manner. OK, we're going to move on now to Tuesday's Telegraph. We know that Jackie Chan does all his own stunts, but maybe there's a limit to cinematic realism, Josh. This is uh, not good. Uh, he is under fire for using a bombed Syrian town as a set for a Chinese film. Uh, and activists are very annoyed because he's, they're, he's li they're literally filming on top of destroyed, there might even... Just bodies. Bodies, yeah, underneath the rubble still. And also it lends legitimacy to the Assyrian regime, which, you know... China gassed, supports. Ga yeah, yeah, exactly, Ch which gassed, murdered its own civilians. Well, no, but Jackie Chan's been in trouble because earlier this year he said that he wanted to join the brilliant yeah. Communist Party of China, so he's, you know, he's already... He's fully sold out. But, he's fully but, paid but, up. But this article is also saying that actually this isn't a new idea and that th for filmmakers it's quite appealing to go to actual war zones because it's so cheap. Because to recreate a bombed city for a film is massively expensive. Of course. But if you get a real one... But when you're just... paying the money to the people who actually did the bombing and did the murder... I mean, that's where ethically, surely... You... You know, I thought it was interesting because it was all about the Yemen evacuation in 2015. They're like, well, it's too too dangerous to film in Yemen. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? I, I think but let's film in Syria instead. Yeah. I think, I mean, the point you make about, you know, there could still be bodies there under the rubble. I mean, it just feels... It certainly goes uh, against uh, what you think of his image, which is this kind of jovial, cheeky martial artist. brilliant. I mean, he was one of my, I used to watch his films endlessly as a child. I, I had brilliant. the video game. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Nintendo. Very disappointing, isn't it, when your heroes... You know, misbehave like this, misbehave. But join His the last film was terrible. Was it? Yeah, join the Communist Party, <laughs> that's, that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, Tuesday's Metro now, uh, and it turns out if you introduce wild bison 
into an environment, the consequences can be felt for generations. So whose is this? This Dana? is mine. So wild bison are now freely roaming in the UK for the first time in 30 thousand years. Wow. So conservationists and rewilding experts have hailed the 1.12 million scheme as biodiversity boosting magic. So I think they've introduced three female bison and one male. So it's kind of like a sister wives, sister wives type of situation. <laughs> and they, they wanted to keep, yeah, exactly. They wanted to keep them um, quite diverse um, biologically so that, they, so, with, so this, you know, to, to have better offspring. So this rewilding idea, so, that, so if you introduce a species such as, they're talking about wolves as well elsewhere, but if you reintroduce bison, it has a knock-on effect through the whole ecosystem. But apparently there's something in this article about how but the way that bison clear tracks through the forest is a very natural way to to enable other animals to, mm -hmm. to move about. And it, it has these incredible knock yeah, effects. So, so this could be quite interesting. The animals are set to make the forest more varied, spread seed and create wetter areas, which uh, will store carbon and reduce flooding. So there's all sorts of good reasons to do this. Yeah, but yeah. are bison not... Bison or bisons? You'd say bison, right? Mm -hmm. bison. 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 Are they not dangerous? Bison has two S's. Well, uh, that's, why, that's why I don't go walking. Outside of uh, parks. Well, because no, but they're, they're talking about also introducing yeah. wolves into, say, Scotland. And if you, I mean, if I'm wandering through a park and a, a wolf shows up, that's a worry, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Train spotting's a worry. I, I can't even walk through a cemetery in Glasgow. Never mind yeah. buck up on a wolf. Yeah, Are exactly. you kidding Glasgow me? Glasgow is scary enough. You add wolves to the mix. Yeah. And, and I mean, bison's. It... I, personally, I think what they're doing is they're gearing up. I think next we're going to get some dodos. Right. And with, then it's finally Don't, Jurassic Park. No, if you have you're cloning a dodo, I would be all for that. Because yeah. bring them back. Feed them to the wolves. What are those green birds that they have? I Orville. see them some. Are they called Orville? No, that's, <laughs> that's a puppet. Um, the green. You, there's like these bright green birds that you can Parrots. see. They, they're, they're wild. You can actually. They're free, I should say, just kind of by Buckingham Palace when you go and. You really? Know, pedal, yeah. Pigeons. They're, they're these bright green birds. Well, that, well, bring them back. They brighten the place up a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a huge um, what was it? A big flood or some a hurricane that happened in Miami, which broke an an um, what do you call that? An Avery. Yeah. Yep. And uh, there's a bunch of the birds that broke out, and now they're just living their life See, in Miami. Is, yeah. This is the wonderful thing about the way animals work. So I was in Capri quite recently, and there was a film there a few years ago which featured a couple of goats, and the film crew left the goats behind, and now there are hordes of these wild goats up in the mountains. I got trapped by them by about sixty goats. Oh. Right. Uh, they, they they sort of cornered us, and we couldn't get down the uh, trap. We had to wait for these That's goats. To... I got caught by antelopes once. Yeah. Is it, pretty... it's, it is scary. It it's can scary. be. They're, They're intimidating. They if I, anything wants to buck up on me like that, I'll just lay on the ground and give them a knife and fork. Yep, just let them get on with it. Absolutely. <laughs> Times once more, it's been long known that elephants are some of the smartest creatures in the animal kingdom. So smart, in fact, apparently they've cured cancer or, or something. Something like that, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's great when you read these sort of curing cancer stories. There seem to be a lot of them. What I would like is some of these curing cancer stories to actually... Like, go, oh, yeah, now we've got, here's your pill. Yeah, because that, never, I never totally agree. The it's like every week there's a, hey, we found something that's going to unlock the cure to cancer, but I'm not seeing... Never actually happens, Yeah, where, where's the thing? But so this, how have elephants cured cancer? Well, this is all interesting because it's basically the replication of uh, cancer cells um, obviously make, spreads the cancer through, and, and because we only have two types of cells that will prevent that. Right. It turns out that elephants have about 40 of these things that can sort of spot the cancer cells okay. and deal with them. So Guardian of the genome. The genome, yeah. So we've, they've got 40, because they're obviously a larger animal as well. Yes. So they're sort of basically more effective at, at 
treating cancer internally and dealing with it before it becomes a tumour or whatever. So they're now looking into that and, uh, and sort of finding out and maybe seeing if we can just inject us with some elephants. Well, that's, that's a lot less interesting. I was imagining elephants in the lab in coats sort of cracking the, the serum that will... No? Got a, no, interestingly, no. Pharmaceuticals no, 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 like Wait that a minute, happen. I haven't read the full article. <laughs> Let me see if it's... No, sorry, mate. Well, look, we, we're going <coughs> to get one more story in, and this is uh, the classic bedtime tale. Goodness me. Raoul Moat back in the headlines. Why, Dana? Oh, so a ghoulish bench memorial to shotgun-toting killer Raoul Moat sparks a Twitter meltdown. So Raoul Moat, uh, Moat made headlines in July 2010 when he shot and killed his ex-girlfriend and her new partner and the police officer in yes. the face who went blind and killed himself two years later. So I'm guessing that this must be a joke. I can't actually imagine how I mean, that he was would a, that get was a bench. That was a really sad story because the, the police officer was blinded, survived... Did a lot of important work for charity. You and know, then committed and, suicide. And because of the trauma, lost his wife. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible story, but why... Is this a joke, someone setting up a memorial bench? Is it a joke that's gone wrong, a prank? Is it is it someone who has a, a twisted uh, admiration for him? What's going on? I don't know, but I think that they need to find out who... Put, if it came through official channels, like a part, you know, that they need to find out who did it. Or if it was someone who just got this kind of printed up somehow, you know, engraved and then went and screwed it into the bench or something. But I remember at the time there were some sort of kind of... Uh, I suppose they were pre-incels, weren't they, at the time, who were sort of saying, trying to defend him and saying, like, this is a man who's just reached the end of his tether and all this kind of weird thing surrounding this murder. Well, no, he was a man who but killed people. This is Conspiracy you know... theories and... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't, I don't know... If I it mean, is... it wouldn't be the first time that we immortalised a killer. This is true. Statues. And in a very English way as well, on a bench. Yeah, the, you know I, I mean, I don't know. I think get rid of the bench. I think that's. I wouldn't sit on this bench. I think it's grim. Give him a curb. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, thank you so much. That's all we've got time for. Thank you so much to my panelists, Josh Howie and Dana Alexander. And please do join us tomorrow for Headliners at eleven o'clock again, where Simon Evans will be joined by Leo Kurse and Steve N. Allen. And don't forget to check out my show every Sunday, Free Speech Nation, at seven o'clock. See you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.